0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Carol McKenzie. We're releasing a mini series on the podcast feed about where we are right now in this pandemic, and we're looking ahead at what's next. It's called The Long Haul Learning to Live in a Lasting Pandemic, and it's presented by Independence Blue Cross. This is episode one of the series. I asked Dr. Paul Offit to start us off by answering some questions about kids and the vaccine. I wanted to know if we're ever going to reach herd immunity and what the winner could look like. Dr. Offit is the director of the Vaccine Education Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He's also a member of the FDA advisory panel. I started by asking him his thoughts about booster
1: shots. Okay, so so the question is, what's the goal of this vaccine? If the goal of this vaccine is to prevent serious illness, the kind of illness that causes you to be very sick or go to the hospital or go to the ICU or die, these vaccines already do that. As two-dose vaccines. I mean, that's been shown now for six months uh, post first rolling these vaccines out. It's been shown for the Delta variant. It's been shown for all age groups. So we have that vaccine already. So so one could argue you don't need a third dose to increase your chance of having a more effective vaccine against serious illness. So then the second goal would be to prevent any sort of symptomatic illness or asymptomatic illness, which is a much higher bar and much more difficult to do. And there, it's really not the memory response. It's important as it is just the level of circulating, neutralizing antibodies, virus neutralizing antibodies in your bloodstream, which always fades. No matter what vaccine you're talking about, that always fades. So if we're trying to do that, if we're trying to keep that level up, then you're talking about more frequent boosters, not just a booster now, but perhaps a booster a year from now or two years from now. So that's a different story.
0: So there's a lot of talk right now about uh, little kids ages 5 to 11. You know, many people are hoping that younger kids can be vaccinated before the holidays. Is that realistic?
1: Well, as it stands, um, the FDA's Vaccine Advisory Committee on October 26 will consider Pfizer's submission for uh, vaccines for the five to eleven-year-old. Um, within two days, the FDA, assuming that we say that the data are are good and it proves the vaccine is safe and effective, the FDA within two days then would move forward with that. And then the Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices at the CDC is meeting on November the second and November the third. So, really, within about a week, um, you should be able to have that vaccine for children, assuming everything looks good.
0: A lot of parents still unsure about getting their kids vaccinated. If you look at some recent polls, you know, maybe up to a third are saying they're definitely not. Um, some others are, are unsure. And a lot of the concerns revolve around safety. Is this safe for my child to get, particularly because it's all new? So can you tell us anything that can reassure parents, particularly of younger kids when it comes to getting vaccines, advice that you can give them that might make them feel better about getting it for their kids?
1: Sure. Well, so look at the 12 to 15-year-old study. So that was a study of 2,300 children, half got vaccine, half got placebo. The vaccine was safe. It induced an excellent immune response. And there were 18 cases of, of COVID in that trial, all in the placebo group. And when that came out, I got a number of sort of pretty angry emails from people saying, 2,300 children? That's all you're going to test? I mean, when you did the adult trials, you had, you know, 30,000, 40,000 people. Why don't you test more? To which the response is, okay, we could have tested 23,000 children, and then instead of being 18 cases of COVID in the placebo group, it would have been 180 cases in the placebo group. I mean, what kind of price are we willing to pay, human price, for knowledge? Because the question is not, never when do you know everything. You never know everything. The question is, when do you know enough? So what did you know in the 12 to 15-year-old? You knew that it was, it was safe in those and those 1,200 children that got the vaccine, you knew it was highly effective. Um, you knew that it protected against disease, and you know that every week now, 200 to 250,000 children are, are getting sick. You know that children account for more than a quarter of all cases now. You know that children certainly can suffer and be hospitalized and die. More than 500 children have, have died. So the question isn't isn't uh, um, you know, which, you know, whether or not you're going to avoid risk, there is no avoiding the risk. The question is, which risk do you want to take? You want to take the risk of getting the vaccine, which it's been shown to be safe and effective, or do you want to take the risk of getting the disease, which certainly can happen? I mean, I work at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. We see. Uh, I was on service last week. We certainly see a number of children with, with this disease, some of whom are in the intensive care unit and some of whom are very sick. And if you can avoid it and avoid it safely, which for all uh, appearances now, that's that's the case, then do that. I think we think we're invulnerable. We think that if we don't do get a vaccine, that that's the equivalent of doing nothing, but it isn't the equivalent of doing nothing. You're doing something. You're taking the risk of getting this disease.
0: And you just hit on what I, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, and that is the trends that you are seeing in the pediatric population. At the beginning of this pandemic, kids seemed to fare pretty well, and that has certainly changed. And you just mentioned you're seeing kids getting sicker. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What trends are you seeing when it comes to children and COVID?
1: Right. Well, it, it certainly was true when the virus first came into this country early last year that it, that it really attacked the older person. I mean, 93% of all deaths were in people over 55 years of age. So it is true that children get less infected less frequently, and it is true that they get infected less severely. That's still true. What's different, however, is now we're dealing with a much more transmissible virus, and and that population, especially the less than 12-year-old population, is fully susceptible to this disease. So now you're starting to see this virus reach down into that age group and infect those children. And again, if we can prevent that disease safely, and I have all reason to expect we can, uh, then we should do that.
0: Are enough kids getting vaccinated? I mean, according to some of the latest numbers from the CDC for kids 12 and older, only about 66 percent at this point are fully vaccinated.
1: Right. And that includes the 16 to 17-year-old. I think for the 12 to 15-year-old alone, it's about 45%. So it's, it's an under-vaccinated population for the reasons you mentioned. I think people see their children as vulnerable. They're scared to inoculate them with a biological agent. And I, I certainly understand that. It is a little scary. But there, is, there are no risk-free situations. This virus is still circulating in this country. We're heading into winter. You now have a fully susceptible group of less than 12-year-olds that are all gathering together in one place. That's a difficult recipe.
0: You know, and talk about schools, you know, we, we now have more data when it comes to schools and, and, you know, when we see what some schools are doing and what some schools aren't and maybe even uh, vaccine numbers among kids. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about, like, I guess what your viewpoint is now that we do have that data? Are schools, do you think, safe right now for kids?
1: Well, I think some are, some aren't. I think those that are in communities where the virus is still circulating, still causing suffering and hospitalization and death, um, where those children, for example, uh, many of those children aren't wearing masks um, and aren't, you know, are sort of getting uh, closely together. And, you know, I think that the the school will represent that community. In communities where the virus spread has largely uh, been uh, contained, you know, in states that have very high vaccination rates, um, there I think those children are in a safer position.
0: And what about mandating vaccines for kids? Do you think that's going to happen and and that from what I understand is a pretty lengthy process.
1: Well, remember, we've been mandating vaccines for school entry since the 1970s. I mean, since those measles outbreaks caused us to mandate vaccines for school entries all 50 states. In this country, have vaccine mandates for children. So, so why not this vaccine? I mean, certainly this virus is causing a lot of suffering and harm. Um, you could argue that this should be a pretty easy choice as a vaccine to mandate. But you know, as Americans, we just don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to think that the government is intruding on our personal freedoms. Although I don't know why um, we would consider an intrusion in personal freedoms, asking us to do something like not spread a potentially fatal infection.
0: Do you have concerns about uh, the winter and the holidays coming up with where we are right now in this pandemic?
1: For a couple of reasons, one because I think people get obviously all get together for the holidays, and um, and that certainly puts everyone at some risk. But I think more importantly, you know, this is a winter virus at its heart. It's 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 like influenza virus, like respiratory syncytial virus. This virus is going to spread more easily in cooler. drier climates. And that's what worries me. I mean, look at last winter or even the winter before that. That, That's really when this virus spreads. Well, I mean, the numbers recently look like they're coming down a little bit and that's good, but it's a little counterintuitive as you head into winter. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but worried about the winter.
0: So on that note, I guess the question, do you think we're on the downside of this kind of Delta wave is kind of dependent, I guess, on what we do for the next few months?
1: Sure, I mean it's it's interesting, isn't it, that if you look at that through this past September, over the, the, the as compared to the September of last year, we the numbers were actually worse this September, which is remarkable when you consider that last September we had a fully virulent population and no vaccine. This September we have you know probably more than fifty percent of the population has been immunized. You have at least hundred million people who've been naturally infected, which also is protective against serious illness. Um, which so you probably have 75% population immunity at this point, but we need to get to more than 90%. And Delta is the, is the thing that changed. I mean, last September it was the Alpha variant. <laughs> this September it's the Delta variant, which is much more, much more transmissible.
0: I think we're going to see another variant.
1: Um, we've certainly we've seen three variants in the last year and a half, so I think it's likely we'll see another variant. Frankly, I can't imagine a variant more transmissible than Delta. This 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 variant has the so-called R naught or transmissibility index of something called uh, about around five to nine, which means that if uh, the lowest level, if I'm infected, go around my about my normal day, uh, I'll infect five people, assuming all are susceptible. That's you're like in chickenpox territory at that point. I mean, this is a, a very transmissible virus.
0: Dr. Offit, we have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with a long haul learning to live in a lasting pandemic presented by Independence Blue Cross. You know, we've spoken about herd immunity throughout this whole pandemic, and I want to just revisit that quickly. As you mentioned, we've you know, we do have a certain percentage of the population vaccinated, and then we have seen a significant wave here of people who have gotten sick. Could that I mean, do you think that will maybe help over the winter help us from having another spike in cases because are we at enough herd immunity to kind of hold it down?
1: When one tries to figure out what level of population immunity is necessary to stop spread, it depends on two factors. One is the contagiousness of the virus. Obviously, the more contagious, then the higher percentage of the population needs to be vaccinated. And the second is the effectiveness of the vaccine. Obviously, the more effective the vaccine, the fewer number of people that that need to be vaccinated. So right now, if you, if you sort of plug in the formula for, for what we know about the contagiousness of the virus, what we know about the efficacy of the vaccine, you need to have at least 90% of the population that's protected. Um, now, now many people are protected already by, by natural infection. But I think you of the 60 or 65 million people that haven't been vaccinated yet, I think you need to have at least 35 or 40 million of those people vaccinated or naturally infected. Obviously, you would prefer a vaccination because that way those people don't have to suffer and die. You know, you'd prefer vaccination because the goal of vaccines is to induce the immunity that's a consequence of natural infection without having to pay the price of natural infection. Why? So, why you would ever choose natural infection is beyond me. So, get vaccinated.
0: And sh- are you still the opinion um, that people should people who have gotten sick from COVID still get vaccinated?
1: Right. So, so that is the CDC recommendation, and the reason is based on a study out of Kentucky where you looked at people who were naturally infected and then given a vaccine were nationally infected and not given a vaccine. And you saw that over that period of time that they they looked, that you were at a a two-and-a-half-fold increased risk of getting uh, infected um, if you didn't get a boost, essentially, by getting a vaccine. So there's certainly no downside to getting a vaccine. It's only an upside.
0: Are you afraid that news of treatments, Merck has just applied for emergency use authorization for its COVID uh, 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 pill regimen, uh, antiviral pill regimen, are you concerned that as more people hear about possible treatments, that they will not get vaccinated?
1: Well, you know, as we say in Philadelphia, because it's what Ben Franklin said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You'd much rather prevent something than try and treat it, number one. Number two is the, that that product, Molnupiravir, was um, was about 50% effective at preventing hospitalization. So, so which is to say that if you take it, you still have you know, a chance of being hospitalized, um, it's not. It's it's not like an antibiotic, which just you know treats your bacterial infection. This is a preventive, but it only works very early in illness. You know, very early in illness. So so it's not something you would give in the hospital. It's something you're giving to prevent hospitalization, and it does prevent it. But it's about fifty percent effective. You know, get get a vaccine where you know you're at about ninety to ninety five percent effective, and virtually hundred percent effective at preventing hospitalization. So vaccine again is the better choice. If someone looks at this and says, I'd much rather take this antiviral medicine than get a vaccine, realize that the, the antiviral medicine is much, much less effective at preventing hospitalization than the vaccine.
0: You know what's what baffles me about this? It, it's so interesting, and it really has maybe less to do, this is less a medical question and more about the way people think, is that people are more, some of these people who don't want to get a vaccine are more willing to take a new treatment they're they're willing to take these new treatments but not willing to get a new
1: vaccine Remarkable, isn't it? So people are willing to take hydroxychloroquine when it hadn't been shown to either prevent or treat disease. In fact, can cause heart arrhythmias and in fact cause some people to die. Or they're willing to take ivermectin, which has never really been shown to work to either treat or prevent the disease and has, you know, significant intestinal side effects. I don't get it. I really don't get it. It's just you're asking people in the case of mRNA vaccines to get two shots. You're not asking them to get a heart transplant. This isn't that big of a deal, but for whatever reason, people make it a big deal.
0: Yeah. I want to ask you just to look into your crystal ball um, and kind of what do you see? I, I ask you that, frankly, a year ago, many of us thought we would be through it at this point. We would get vaccines. Maybe we would get treatments, but we would definitely be on the backside of this and returning more to life as normal. And yet, here we are. We we're still on 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 in the Delta variant wave. You know, cases are down slightly, but we're not. It's certainly not in the clear. So, what do you see uh, from here on out?
1: I certainly don't blame Delta. I mean, the 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 vaccine is highly effective at preventing hospitalization and death caused by the Delta variant. So, so although Delta is more transmissible, the vaccine still works. We did the hard part really within eleven months of isolating this virus and sequencing it back in January of of twenty twenty. Within eleven months, we had done two large clinical trials using a novel vaccine technology, messenger RNA, that showed remarkable effectiveness and safety. I mean, you couldn't have imagined it being. Better than that. I mean, I'm on the FDA Vaccine Advisory Committee. We were told if it's 50% effective with a lower confidence interval of 30% approve it. Uh, Dr. Fauci sort of optimistically claimed it could be 70% effective. Well, it's like 95% effective, yet at least within a few months of getting the vaccine. That effectiveness fades a little bit over time, but not much. Um, And then we figured out another hard part, which is how to mass produce, mass distribute, and and then ultimately mass administer a vaccine in a public health system that had never really mass administered vaccines to adults ever. And it's free. Um, And then we went from 1 million doses a day to 2 million doses a day to 3 million doses a day to 3.5 million doses a day. day, And had we stayed on that path, we would be looking in our rearview mirror at this, this pandemic. But we didn't because we hit a wall because we now know that 65 million people said, No thanks. I don't want the vaccine. I'm going to continue to to serve as fertile ground for this virus to spread, to cause harm, to mutate, potentially away from vaccine induced immunity. And what are you going to do about it? And so that's where we are now. We're at at basically mandates trying to compel people to do the right thing since they're obviously not going to do it on their own.
0: The thing that scares me is. Over the summer when cases were way down and things started relaxing, I had this moment of no, this is not good. Like I was really anxious about what's happened and I'm not I'm not a scientist. I have no I just thought this is crazy. This isn't a good idea and I think, you know, we're so tired, we're so fatigued. But And I think that's what plays into it, too, like the lack of vaccines and the fatigue that goes along with it. But if you look at what happened over the summer and then that huge surge, you think like, oh, my God, look are we ever, ever going to be out of this?
1: We'll be out of this. We'll we will we will be out of this. I, I I believe that's true. I think this this virus will always be endemic. I mean we're always gonna have this virus, I think, with us, but I think it will be at a level where we'll go about our normal lives again. But that's that's only when we get about ninety to ninety five percent population immunity. And it's just Hard to watch this this pushback here. I mean, you watch somebody like Kyrie Irving, right, Who's who's who plays for the Brooklyn Nets. Well, if you're going to play in, in this stadium where the Brooklyn Nets play, you have to be vaccinated, both as a player and as someone who enters the stadium. And he refuses to do that. He's actually willing to lose th- as much as $30 million in salary for this. I mean, it shows you how, how dug in some people are on this. And it, it makes no sense to me. It, it really doesn't make any sense.
0: I, me either. I don't get it. Um, Dr. Offit, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it as always. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, take care, bye-bye. This is the long haul learning to live in a lasting pandemic. It's a KYW News Radio in-depth special presented by Independence Blue Cross. I'm Carol McKenzie. In part two of this special, we'll talk with Dr. Yesenia Marroquin, a clinical psychologist at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. We talk to her about the challenges kids are facing right now and how to have holiday dinner vaccination status conversations with your family and friends. You can listen now on the KYW News Radio in-depth podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.